This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. Just reach out. Bring them some, bring them some donuts. <laughs> you know, do something. You know, don't always look for something for free. Um, you know, bring some value to somebody if it's however that might look to you. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. What's going on, guys? Got a great episode today with Curtis Eaton. Curtis is a North Carolina-based investor. He spends time in Raleigh, in Charlotte, in Greenville, in Asheville. He's kind of all over the state, but he's doing some awesome projects. Uh, I'd call him a little bit of a jack of all trades from the standpoint of uh, single family homes. He's done wholesales, flips, uh, wholetails. All those really mean is he's good at finding off-market deals and he puts them under contract and then he either decides to rehab them himself, rehab them and flip them, rehab them and turn them into rentals or just sell them to other investors that are looking for off-market deals. Uh, it's also cool because he has a full-time other job. He works in insurance and this is a side hustle, but he's found a great way to merge the two, which I think a lot of you guys can relate to as far as also managing your time. Uh, so some other things from the episode, we go into house hacking, we go into wholesaling really deeply. Like the whole episode is really just going through one big wholesale, how you find it or how you find off-market deals. So again, I'd love to turn these episodes into how-tos that anyone listening immediately after the episode can take action and start doing what Curtis is doing. So the main learning from this episode was how to wholesale or flip any home, almost like a starter kit, right after you listen to this episode. You should have what you need. We talk a lot about the tools. His biggest one is a free one, guys, Facebook. He's finding almost all of his deals on Facebook and he's selling almost all of his deals on Facebook. And he's finding all his people, his contractors, his investors, his insurance agents, his brokers, all these things he's finding in one free place that is hiding in plain sight. So I talk about it here and there in my small group and then in the main group that I run the Facebook group in, but it's so powerful, guys. These groups are awesome. You can find them all over for everything you're looking to do and in all parts of the, the US. So I highly recommend you check them out. The tangible tip from today's episode was to reach out to five people on Facebook today. Go into one of these groups, find some people that you're interested in or that seem to be doing a lot and have a lot of activity in the group, reach out to them, ask if you can do virtual coffee or pick their brain or add value to them in some way. Just come up with a script and write it to five people who you want to learn from or have questions about in the area and can help you. I'm telling you, networking in the sense is one of the best ways to jumpstart your business. And it's exactly how Curtis did it. So Curtis even offers that up for himself. If you have questions or you want to hear a bit more about what he's doing, reach out to him on Facebook. His contact will be in the show notes. Just look him up or find other people like Curtis. I'm telling you, there's a lot out there. So that's today's tangible tip. 
great episode today with Curtis Eaton. All right, Curtis, what is going on, man? Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks. Doing great. Yeah, man. You got good energy. I don't know. People yeah, tell you that all the that. time. You got a lot appreciate of energy, that. man, which, you know what? Early morning calls, I feel like it can be life. It can drain you if you don't get the right energy. So I'm excited, man, especially after we connected and checking out your story more on Facebook. You've been documenting a lot of your projects. And then we had a call. You kind of gave me the rundown on what you're doing and how you got into all this. You're doing a lot in a short period of time. You're just moving and shaking, which is cool. And uh, you're, you're just hustling, man. You're making the most of COVID. So we'll jump right into, I guess, all that and how you're doing it. But before we do, could you give our listeners a quick background on where you live, how you got started in real estate, and from a high level, what that has brought you to today business-wise? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question and having me on today. It's exciting. And uh, I might stumble a little bit here and there since I'm not doing many of these uh, types of interviews, but it should be fun. But anyway, my background is uh, really was involved mostly in construction-ish sales sales, and um, also got involved in insurance. And I saw that a lot of these things were kind of a dead end street and was kind of looking for something that I really wanted to get involved with that would sort of take some of my abilities and be able to take that next level. And so last year I was involved in, in a family business and I had decided to sort of back away from that and sell some of my shares. And I said, if I don't do something with that money, Uh, whether great or small, Uncle Sam is probably going to appreciate it if I don't do something with it. So that made me jump in both feet into real estate. And I live in the Charlotte, North Carolina metro area. I'm north of Charlotte about an hour. So if you're familiar with North Carolina, a small town called Statesville. So that's, that's where I'm out of. Okay. And what is that, I guess, from a business standpoint and real estate, how did you get into real estate? How did I get into real estate? Um, my brother mentioned a guy um, named Jesse, who's out of Mississippi that was looking to sell some properties. And I drove down to Mississippi to buy four houses from him. And he was like, bro, he said, you need to be doing what I'm doing. And that brought me into the real estate game and uh, found out he was a wholesaler slash investor doing really well for himself. and. Um, yeah, so I drove back home all excited. He sort of opened the door to real estate, sending out some some letters. And I was terrified, scared to death, didn't know what I was doing. I think I mentioned to you when we first spoke that I didn't even know how to spell real estate. I just, I thought it was just one word. Um, and, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. Yeah, I've, I've grown tremendously. What, you know, what is you know, close of escrow. Some of these words just terrified me and it's really nothing to be afraid of. But I, I found out very early on that um, I, I want to learn every day and I want to take some action every day. And so that's what I've been trying to implement in, in my on my professional side. I still work my insurance job. So I'm kind of working working two jobs. I'm, I'm a self, self-employed uh, insurance adjuster um, as Uh, other people know them as independent adjusters. So anyway, that is my background. I still do that. Um, Not every day. And with COVID that really slowed down, but that also allowed me to really get into real estate and just learn, learn, learn. But I also wanted to make sure that I was again, taking action and, and doing some, some type of outreach 
um, with somebody, whether it was, you know, via Facebook or whether it was over the phone or just learning from others. And I feel like I've just piggybacked mm -hmm. off of other people's successes as well. What made you want to buy or what gave you the confidence to feel like you could just buy four houses? Was What got you to that point? Was there any research? Did anyone help you? Or did you just wake up one morning and said, real estate sounds cool. I'm going to try to buy four houses at once. No, it was a package that Jesse had on the market. And I figured, hey, I'm going to buy these four properties. I can essentially burr them. I, I understand. What is a burr? What's a burr for those who don't know? Buy, rehab, uh, rent, refinance. Okay, cool. And, then, and why, and why then, is that a, a good strategy? It's a great strategy uh, because of all the tax benefits, some of which I'm still learning about. So, but I, I knew it was uh, going to be a great way for me to get, you know, where, where I could, where I could make money passively, which is something I'm very passionate about um, to where I have some money coming in without me needing to go out and climb on roofs or, you know, walk in somebody's house that has a, a burst pipe in their kitchen. Yeah. I knew that was a the dead, dead end street. And, um, you know, I'll be 40 this year. And I knew that, that the, the time was, time was ticking and I needed to do something. So real estate, even though it scared me a lot, I was terrified. Um, didn't really know what I was doing, but again, just taking advice from other people that have been successful in the business and just, finding something uh, to, to get me in the door without being a realtor, something that um, I wouldn't necessarily discourage, but from my standpoint, I figured that might not be so beneficial to me as in wanting to get in as an investor, Got so it. Kind, of, kind of working this thing backwards where I had some money that I needed to get rid of but I also needed to make money so that I could continue investing. <laughs> so a little bit of a catch there. Totally. And just for those that don't know, I just wanted to find Burr Investing, B-R-R-R, buy, rehab, rent, refinance. The benefit or the reason to do that strategy, well, the tax benefits are awesome. But really, if you do that strategy and you pull it off effectively, you can essentially acquire rentals for $0, where you add rentals to your portfolio, you add equity to your, your net worth, and you add cash flow on a monthly basis. And the way you do that typically is you buy something at a discount, which how you get those properties at a discount is a separate conversation, which we'll probably talk about in a minute. But you buy properties at a discount, you fix them up you put a tenant in place and then you go to a bank and get a conventional cash out refinance, which just means you get a new loan on that property and they will give you a check for 80% of it. And you start a new 30 year loan or 15 year loan or whatever it is. And if you do your math properly and you fix it up to market value, where you know that the comps are going to be, you will get a check for cash. That is more than what you originally purchased the property for. And when you do it that way, in theory, you're buying a property, you're obtaining a property without any money. And that is how people grow their net worth and add so many rentals when they don't have a lot of money. It's an amazing strategy. And now as I've gotten even more into apartment investing, that is what apartment investors have been doing for years. I mean, probably since the start of time with investing in apartments, it's just they're doing it at a bigger scale. And when you do it right with apartments, they're appraised a little differently and you can probably get all your money back. So you can actually make money or be given a check to then own a property. So it's a really powerful strategy. We've had some people on here before that do it. So Curtis, that's awesome that you're doing it that way and that you're obtaining these properties and 
that model seemed to click with you. So for those that are like listening right now and they're thinking about, all right, what's Curtis doing today that I could either try to model or replicate how he's finding deals, how he's fixing deals. So can you just walk us through what maybe some of your current projects look like, how you found them, how you funded them, what your plans are with them, all that. Right. No, excellent question. So back in February, I'm, I'm going to go backwards to come up to speed for today. I was um, listening to Steve Trang's podcast and Pace Morby uh, came on. I had been learning about wholesaling from Max Maxwell to some of these gurus in the business, gurus in the business. And I thought it's a great way uh, to leverage money or your time you know if you're out and about anyway and you might see a house that's that's run down see if you can maybe uh, find out who the owner is and see if you might be able to get your hands on that assign it to an end buyer and make some cash but again to me it was kind of not a dead-end street per se but I thought I'm just gonna have to keep hustling keep hustling keep hustling while I was listening to Pace and he is the the godfather of <laughs> creative finance in my opinion and it, it got me uh, focused on how can I take down deals maybe with less money and still have cash flow. Mm -hmm. So I began delving and looking into that, not even, not even really understanding everything fully, but again, taking action. And action is the key. I tell um, my partner, uh, David Hedges, and some of the people that we have working with us, take action every day every day. So learn some every day, but take action every day. If you're new, that would be my um, little little word of advice to you. But I met Pace the following week at the We Live event with Max Maxwell. And I just went off. I was like, hey, I just, I just went bananas. And I was like, Pace, I was just yelling at him. And he's looked at me kind of strange. But uh, I was just so jacked up because I felt like this might be something that I'm really going to to, to look into, and it was more of a um, sort of a, a ninja kind of move in the, in, the, in the wholesaling world. So that is what I have been embarking on, just understanding more creative financing and terms and, and, and okay. kind of holes in the system. Mm -hmm. And so I've actually, two of the, the properties that we are working on right now were actually brought to me by other investors. Um, uh, actually, another another wholesaler brought me this deal, says, I don't can't really close this deal. What can we do? And it turned into, you know, it was, it was going into the house was going into foreclosure. And so we ended up paying the arrears uh, or the back payments right on, on that property. Got mm -hmm. the the seller had already moved out of the property and said they wanted just a little bit of cash to walk. And so got them all caught up and now we're rehabbing uh, both of these properties and we'll put them on the market. And it gets real deep real quick, but we're gonna create a new note to where we will be the bank. Mm -hmm. And then we can put that back on the market and sell it to someone that doesn't have, let's say excellent credit and be able to finance a house for them. Awesome. Okay. So we'll, we'll dig into a couple of those points. Sure. I think there's a lot of learning and a lot of cool things you're doing there that people can take away. So first off, can you just talk about the dynamic with wholesalers for a sec and why did those wholesalers or, or what did you do 
so that those wholesalers or other investors thought of you or called you when they had a deal? Honestly, I just did some outreach on Facebook. Okay. How did, like, how did you hey. find them on Facebook? So I joined uh, investor groups okay. and I would watch for, you know, deals that might be posted um, or depending on the type of post that this person was, was putting out there. I'm like, Hey, by the way, if you would like some help, maybe taking this deal down, I am an investor and I'm a buyer and let's see if maybe we can put something together. And that was the beginning of the conversation. And so I'm, and I'm happy to help folks. I think it was um, two or three weeks ago, there was someone that just randomly uh, put out a post that he needed some help trying to structure a deal. I called him up, told him what to do. And literally that day he got the deal under contract and, mm. and, and bought the property subject too. So I felt really good about that. I sort of felt like, even though I'm a beginner investor that I was able to help somebody else, it really was encouraging. So how do you know when a wholesaler or investor brings you a deal that it's a good deal. I think people see deals. If they're not already on Facebook, you guys need to get on Facebook and go into these groups. There's tons of deals being presented off market deals, but I think the next step or the next challenge that people walk into is they get in these groups, their newsfeed is flooded with deals and they're thinking, what do I do now? How do I know if this is a good deal? How do I know if it's in a good location? How do I know if this is going to be a huge headache with construction? So can you just Walk us through your process of how you assess that stuff. If let's say you were presented a bunch of deals, how do you know it's a good deal? How do you decide if it's going to be a good deal for you? Things like that. Right. So for me, uh, cash flow is king. And so if I know that I have enough funds to take down the deal, um, I could I could pay cash perhaps for a deal, but then now my cash is tied up for X amount of time right? Until I'm able to refinance on that deal. Or maybe I could use somebody else's money, but then, you know, hard money lenders are charging large fees. Maybe the deal is maybe not inside the, the typical area where I'm working, the demographic. As far as finding deals for me that I'm really excited about are deals with little to no equity. A lot of times those deals are not great for wholesalers, right? Because the wholesaler is typically looking for a larger amount of equity or a discount, right? A bigger discount. And so these deals, if they would have tried to go the, the wholesale route, the standard wholesale route, which is after repair value minus or 70% of that minus repairs minus your wholesale fee, these seller would have been upside down or would have had to come out of pocket money on those deals to even get rid of these properties. So this, the typical wholesale would not work. And so those are the deals I get excited about because we might be able, even if there is, let's say some equity, we might be able to take that note over subject to the, sellers financing and maybe offer them some additional payments. Um, a lot of times with 0% interest. Sure. So let's just frame it like this. Let's say you're on mm -hmm. Facebook today and you're scrolling through and you see five deals in your North, North Carolina group, wholesalers or other investors put them up, said, Hey, I can't take these down. These are deals that uh, I'm offering up at this price. 
what is your process to analyze those five deals to decide which ones you want to take down and what you want to do with them and which ones are not worth pursuing? That's really good. I'm going to see if I can answer this one. This is a, it's a good question for me. So I'm looking for someone that would be open to terms, right? So if the seller is not okay. open to terms, you're, you're, you're done. You're pretty much stuck, right? As a, as a wholesaler, if I'm, if I'm talking to a wholesaler, if, if the seller is not open to terms, they, they might not be able to sell that property. And what does that mean? Open, open to, to terms? terms means that they're not just looking for a cash out. Got it. Okay. So they want some type of maybe payment plan or something creative, something monthly, as opposed to get me top dollar right Correct. now. Okay. So that for you comes first terms before location or property. Right, because for me, the, the what I'm looking for is leveraging what money I have. And if I, I can use my mm. own funds and I can get into a deal for, let's say $10,000 versus $90,000, I can take that 10 and potentially convert it into 90,000. So um, mm. that's what I get excited about. So it's, it's a, for example, these rehabs that we're doing now, we're probably going to be in somewhere between the 20 and $40,000 range. But the potential payout is a lot larger. If I was a standard fix and flipper, I would probably make somewhere in the range of uh, I'm going to be conservative and say, let's say 30 to 40,000. But with the way I have it set up with creating these notes and then selling that note to a note buyer, you can make substantially a, a lot more money. But it, it's not quick. It's okay. not a quick turnaround time. So you're looking at, a, I would say, a minimum of uh, six to six months to a year. So, and again, just to make this as actionable for the listener who's trying to figure out how to do this. So you see these deals on Facebook. It sounds like you'd be sending a message to whoever posted it saying something to the effect of, is this deal open to terms as far as different financing strategies. So let's say out of the five, three say yes. Okay. You're like, great. And that might be very optimistic and not realistic, but let's just say for this simple scenario, it is the case. What do you do next? What are your steps after you have three deals? They're in North Carolina and they're open to terms. Right. So I'm going to reach out to that wholesaler and have a conversation. I want to have a conversation, send me a, um, a DM and say, hey, let, let me have your phone number. Let's chat on the phone for a while because I'm not the greatest communicator via text. And so let's have a conversation so that you've obviously built the rapport with the seller. It's not me. Um, you want to make a check. You, you want to make some money off this deal. Let's see if we can work this together and collaborate to where you can still get paid, but the seller also gets taken care of. So everybody's happy. I get in with a lower entry, uh, you get paid and the seller is taken care of. So again, solving problems, right? Okay. So what I guess are you asking this, this wholesaler on that call when you jump on? So when I, when I hop on the call, I'm 
going to explain number one, who I am, why I'm talking to them, uh, the reason that I'm looking for terms. Uh, I'm very straightforward. I was talking to a seller yesterday and she was in pre-foreclosure and I was just explaining, hey, if I was to offer cash, um, it would tie up a lot of my money. Would you, I'd be willing to come up to your price. I might be able to get up close to your price if you're able to offer me terms. And that way we can work this whole thing out together. And so she didn't really know how to, to take that. She said, I'm, I'm not used to that type of a deal. And this is, this is, this is a common uh, struggle that you're going to have in presenting things to not only wholesalers, but also to the seller. They don't know what the rules are. Is that even legal? Some of those things will, will mm. come into the conversation. But if any of you have ever listened or read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki, he talks about subject two. Um, and he was he started that back, I think, in the either late 80s or 90s. Mm, yep. Okay. Before, before I was even in the picture. So you, you have these conversations, all right, and now they're willing. Again, now let's say we've whittled down from the three, two are like, eh, you're sketchy. Or no, no, two are good. One is like, you're sketchy. I'm not interested. I don't understand what you're talking about. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to con me, and which could totally happen. So you're down to two. They have terms. Uh, the number works. At this point, it's not like we've, we haven't talked about anything property condition and anything location. So I just want to make sure at this point, what would you do next? Okay. So you have two people that seem willing to play ball. What do you do next? So I'm going to pull comps on the property, right? I'm going to find comparables in the area to make sure that we aren't completely lopsided because sure. If you talk to a seller you, and, and you say, you want to sell your house today, have you considered, would you consider an offer? They'd be like, sure. Give me a million dollars. I mean, in North Carolina, that's uh, that's a, a big house on the lake. So this is not California, <laughs> you know, where that's just the normal normal buy price. But you know, you, you get those responses. So if, if someone's trying to sell you a property for a million dollars and the actual repair value or the comps are showing it's one hundred and fifty thousand, we're way off here. So obviously, this this probably isn't going to work because you're not really motivated. But if the seller is depending on, you know, what, what is, why is the seller selling? What is the yeah. pain point, right? Uh, sure. Tax issues, you know, any kind of liens, you know, any, what's, what's the issue? These people they're, they're looking for help typically with a problem or they are just looking to get out of the house for, this was the question I used to wonder the same thing. I'm glad you said that of why would these people ever want to sell the house? Why would they ever take not a loss, but why would they sell it for market value? There's a lot of reasons, but typically uh, you could look up those reasons. People are distressed, tax liens. Maybe they have uh, they don't have permits pulled in their property. Maybe someone died in their family. Um, just it, it's actually a lot of times you're helping this person. But um, one quick thing, how do you pull comps? And also, uh, are you pulling comps for the current condition of the property or the ARV? And in either way, how are you doing it? I actually like to do it both ways, right? I want to find current condition and see if I can pull comps and see what the lowest number was that a similar property was purchased at. And then look at the other extreme as well. Look at, you know, this, this property may be, you know, 
built in the in the 50s and the last time it was remodeled was in the 80s now we're talking paneling and fantastic colors and interesting layouts and carpets and and tile work and all those fun things right so we know that if we were wanting to flip that property a lot of work would have to go into that now a lot of times because of the creative nature and the way i'm selling these properties um i don't necessarily have to bring it up to 2020 standards with the nicest features you know, in the property for it to be able to sell because mm-hmm. it's, I'm, I'm adding a reason uh, I'm, I'm creating, I guess I'm creating that reason for someone to buy it because they're they're They want to purchase a home, haven't been able to purchase a home because of their credit, not being that great. And so I'm giving them, offering them an opportunity. So, um, so as far as location, yes, I still want it to be like in a, in a Metro ish area somewhere where it might be a, a bedroom type of community within an hour of, of, of a metro, but also just looking to see what's available and looking at comps on both sides, from the low side to the high side, and seeing if we can come somewhere in between. Just again, for the person that's out there listening, figuring out okay, how would I find the comps? Like, I, I, I'm a newbie, you know, like, how, I, I get it. I'll look for comps that look kind of similar to this property, beat up square footage, bed, bath count, they can find that, or they can define that. And then they're also looking for comps of something that's fixed up, but, but what sites are you going on? Who are you talking to? How are you gathering the information to feel comfortable with those numbers? Like what, what is your process? What are your steps? Yeah. So I, I have, I have a multi-step process. One, I'm just going to look on Zillow, realtor.com, places like that, easy access. If you are an investor, even a newbie investor, a lot of people have heard of uh, sites like PropStream. I also use PropStream as a source to be able to to comp and look at more um, MLS uh, data like a realtor would. And so I'm able to see what sold in the area. And if it's more in in a rural area, I'll go up as far as like a mile. But really you wanna be very careful that if you're looking, if you're checking likes for likes, you want to try to find something in the same community, not having some major boundaries such as a lake or railroad track or uh, divided highways uh, like an interstate or four lane highways, so on and so forth. Um, that would create, you know, something that would, you know, or even a, a major school, you know, might be something where on this side of the school, the houses are fantastic. On the other side of the school, they're not so great. So you don't want to use one or one extreme or the other you want to kind of find the middle ground and you can use zillow to find what has been sold in the past six months to a year and base your decision off of that that's a great point i'm glad you said that because zillow and a lot of these sites they do have the feature to show past sales and you can go through and look at the condition bed bath count go through the pictures and come up with a dollar per square foot that then could be used to calculate your ARV, which is your after repair value. Pretty common, pretty self-explanatory that it's what it looks like and costs when you fix it up. And then that way you can determine what your spread is of if, I guess for you, either if you're going to wholesale it or flip it. So how do you decide if you're going to wholesale a property or flip a property? That's a really good question. Uh, wholesale, I would obviously have to have a, a greater margin. 
and or have a deeper discount on the property to be able to wholesale it. Um, if I'm flipping it, most of those deals are going to be uh, um, anything that does not meet the 1% rule in investing, meaning if a house, if you buy a house for $100,000 and your rent is 900, that does not meet the 1% rule. That is a great, the 1% would be $1,000, right? So that would be a great one to flip. Um, and that, that's for me where I live because the return on investment or cap rates uh, here in North Carolina, you can find rentals um, as well that you might wanna keep um, at a, a, a greater margin, greater returns. So mm -hmm. my deciding factor is, does it meet the 1% rule? Um, and would, would another investor wanna purchase this? Um, and, and just going back just for a, a quick second on the comping, if you are brand new, reach out to someone that knows or that has bought properties, ask them, what, what's it gonna hurt? Get on these Facebook sites and say, hey, what would you pay for this house? and get three or four people's opinions. Really good. Okay. Last part why of not, the- why not, why not even you know, reach out to, to a, a, a realtor or something like that as well and just ask them. A lot of times they'll help you. If you say, hey, I don't know the answer. I'm wanting to invest. And, and um, you know, you're humble. A lot of times they'll help you. Good point. And that, I think, again, is where people get stuck. But these people are out there and they're willing to help. Last part of the equation, then if it was going to be something that you're figuring out, if you're going to, or I guess this is your, your exit strategy, if you're going to fix it up and then sell it, that's uh, one strategy, or if you're going to wholesale it. So if you were going to fix it up, what would then be your steps to figure out how much uh, money you need to budget for your rehab? What's your scope of work going to be? What's your process there? Yeah, I feel like I have, because of my background, that really helps. Um, within my, my, my daily work with insurance, I use a software called Xactimate and, uh, it is an estimating software and it's fantastic. Uh, granted, uh, the numbers are not always spot on, but on these properties, for example, that I purchased, I went in and I measured every single room, every single space. I was able to figure out what my plan of action was with paint flooring, trim work, you know, whether it's doorknobs, you know, things like other fixtures with plumbing fixtures, so on and so forth. I can add that all together. And it gives me a good idea as to how much money I need to set aside. And if a contractor were to come in and I, let's say my software says, oh, that should be around $3,000 to paint that area. And he's telling me 4,000. I'm like, whoa, this is, this is, this is not normal. So I can use it for that as well. So it's, it's a really neat software. And if anybody needs, needs help on a larger project, feel free to reach out as well. And I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Awesome. Is that a free software or paid software or something or something that people can get access to? Uh, it is not. It, I think it costs me somewhere around 18 or $1,900 a year. But again, okay. I use it in my, my day job. And so I, I already have access to that. So it's, it's a fantastic tool. What I would tell newbies out there is make friends with a couple contractors. Talk to them about what, you know, a standard, uh, standard prices might be. Let's say per square foot for painting, for flooring, for you know, standard rehab things that we're looking at. 
How do you make friends with a contractor? I'd love to hear what your advice would be for a newbie on how they can make friends with those contractors who they don't even know. But I agree, if you could have them help you scope stuff out, it'd be great. So what I've done as well in the past is again, use Facebook as a tool, found groups. A lot of times with these real estate investor groups, you will have contractors and other people recommend contractors to you. So just reach out to them again, say, hey, I'm a newbie investor. I'm looking at purchasing, purchasing let's say two to five houses over the next you know, 12 to 24 months. I'm gonna need help with rehab for sure. Uh, could we meet up, maybe have coffee? I'll come to one of your job sites to take a look at your work and see if maybe we can look, you know, can work together in the future. And, you know, what are, what, you know, go and look at the project. And then, you know, let's say it's a 1500 square foot house and the contractor says, yeah, I charge the, you know, the investor $30,000. Well, there you have it. You have at least something, you know, that you can look at and tangibly put your hands on and say, okay, I know they're painting, they're, you know, they're putting in new flooring, uh, maybe new countertops, whatever it is. And that mm -hmm. was a $30,000 flip. I should probably need to be maybe in between 30 and $40,000, you know, for my next one, if it again is comparable to this one. So, yep. Really just, good. Just reach out, bring them some, bring them some donuts, <laughs> you know, do something, you know, don't always look for something for free. Um, you know, bring some value to somebody if it's, however that might look to you. That's awesome. I love that. That's something that I don't think people do enough, but they will become your friend if you do that. If you talk to them once and they tell you what job site they're on, you bring them some coffee and donuts, they will help you out. Just remember that. It's a great there tangible tip. Uh, last question. There's, there's so many places we could have gone this episode because you're doing so many cool types of projects. And uh, I feel like I say this almost now religiously every episode, we might need a part two, just because I'd love to talk about the creative financing stuff, but just finishing the wholesale and flip conversation. Let's say now you're going down instead of the flip conversation, which you would be doing all the contract stuff and building those relationships and getting quotes. Let's say you were going the wholesale route. And again, just a reminder for those listening, that just means Curtis has the property locked up. He's got a contract on it. And he's going to try to resell it to someone else, an investor, maybe another wholesaler or an end buyer for a little bit higher than what he has it under contract for. And he'll make that spread. And then he doesn't have to do any physical work. And typically it's much quicker. So a property that maybe he could have flipped for 20, he'll make five wholesaling, but he owns it for only maybe a week or even five minutes. So just, again, making very clear the difference. But let's say you decide you're going to wholesale it. I guess more or less last question that we'll talk about here. How do you find a buyer who will buy those properties and how do you, how do you get rid of it? You know, let's say now you have this deal, you think there's enough margin on it for a wholesale and uh, you're like, who do I give this thing to? How do I, how do I move it? So Facebook, <laughs> Facebook marketplace, put it out there. Now you have to be careful, make sure that you vet the people that are reaching out to you, but uh, just making it, making it very simple um, maybe also squat up with with another person that you know that's in the business that has been successful, and they can also give you advice. But what I did was I put it on Facebook Facebook Marketplace, and some of these uh, real estate investment groups they also allow you to post your deals there. A lot of times you'll be able to find an end buyer there. So of course, you know whenever there's money, there are people that are lurking in the in the in the background that are 
that are watching for things like this. So just be aware of that, but please don't let that stop you from moving forward and, and changing your life and maybe not just your life, but your family's future. Curtis, this has been awesome, man. What is the best way for people to follow your journey, connect with you, or uh, just reach out? No, I appreciate it. So you can find me on Instagram at the Curtis Eaton. All right. Awesome. Guys, check him out. I've been following him for a couple months now and he's always posting fun projects. Like I said, great attitude, great energy. And uh, Curtis, I look forward to meeting in person, man. So thank you again for coming on and best of luck in 2020 and beyond. Thank you very much. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.